<laughs> all right, gang, it is that time. Everybody's favorite Tuesday that you've had all week. And, of course, we know that um, you could have been listening to Lars Larson, but now you've got us, which is awesome. All right, so welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show. In studio today, me, your host, David Littlejohn, with me as almost always... Katie Sheck. And playing the part today of every man and kind of every woman, but mostly man in America. Hey, he can choose to be whatever he wants to be. I know. However you're identifying, it seems to be the nonsense of the day, Kyle Bailey. And uh, here we are. (laughs) With the broken microphone. (laughs) Oh, the microphone's great. It's the little uh, pop filter that's um, fussy. I don't know. We got it working. It's fine. So, Kyle, thank you for joining us, because what an interesting day. And, you know, Kyle, I think this is a fun one because you are playing, you really are playing the part a little bit. You played right into this of what I think a lot of people are feeling looking at the markets right now. Because I don't know if anybody's noticed this or not, but we may be looking at a point where history books will look back and, and they, will, they will label this period of time a trade war. That'd be mm. interesting. Yeah, what what is it gonna? What are the headlines gonna say fifty years from now when they're reading in the history right. text? I think it, I think history books will formally remember this as a trade war. And while this is sort of the the, it's not really the beginning phase. We've been negotiating for a long time, and it's been this idea of well, you know, it's not that heavy handed. A few tariffs here, a little talk there, but we're at a point where you've got what is still the largest economic force on the planet in terms of liquidity of currency and in terms of total uh, gross domestic product in the United States going up against which is right now, depending on how you measure it, number two in the world in terms of economic size in China. Yeah, it's kind of hard to catch that a little bit. And so you you think about that where China, uh, by many measures, has surpassed Europe, right? And some people will say that China has passed the United States. It doesn't it doesn't really work that way. It depends on how you measure. I guess you know in certain measures maybe, but but by and large, just except the United States is still the not by population, but just by raw dollars, the biggest market. No, as I say, but by population, it's China now, right? Well, yeah. Now, if you say divided by population, United States is actually a very wealthy country. If we've got just over 330 million people and you look at our total gross domestic product per person, it's massive because China's got over a billion people and still a smaller total GDP. So, you know, their productivity per person is very different. But regardless, it's a big deal. And I think what we're seeing right now is you've got these two powerhouses with very different value systems around how international trade is handled. Or how they think they want it to be handled. Well, and this is, I'll come right out and say it. I'm not going to sugarcoat this on the radio. And if people say that I'm being, uh, I don't know, judgmental or whatever, I don't know. But I'm just going to (laughs) call it like I see it. China for years has been predatory, right? And that's largely how uh, our culture views China from an economic perspective. They steal things. Intellectually predatory. They steal intellectual property. Right. So they, they will copy things. They will rip off patents and trademarks so that they don't they don't take intellectual property seriously. And so they'll just flat out steal it. And that is a big deal when you get into things like large tech. Right. Where they are trying to do things like clone 
processor chips and memory and so they'll knock stuff off that's uh you know, somebody went through a lot of effort to develop those technologies. Well, and get them patented or copyrighted or anything Not just like that. that, too. Think about all the research and development that goes into this, and then to have somebody just come along and say, oh, we'll just copy it, right? So we'll let somebody else foot the bill to figure it out, and then we'll copy it to try to go make all the profits. And Yeah, and then make it cheaper and yeah. sell it cheaper. So uh, that would be something that would be an ethical no-no in the United States, and yet that seems to be far more typical Acceptable. in china that's yeah. just well that's just how it happens well uh you know you can like trump or you can hate trump but he has drawn the line in the sand and said we're, we're done with this scenario here either and i'm not sure what the details will be to the trade deal but the markets are certainly uncomfortable because he's come out and said all right we're going to throw a bunch of tariffs on if you're not going to play ball we will economically harm you that is effectively what trump did we will economically harm you by imposing tariffs if you are not going to come to the table and have an honest conversation about really making some changes in trade policy. Interesting. That's exactly what tariffs are for. You, you know, you don't do that to hurt yourself. No, you right? do it to stop. But, but there will be collateral damage in this process. Right. Things will become more expensive. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the, that's, and then you get into the politics of whether or not you like it, but there'll be collateral damage. And that's what the market's looking at right now. So, Kyle, this is where. I appreciate you being here because you were talking about the collateral damage, right? Right. And, you know, yesterday when the market started going down, uh, in fact, really very early in the morning when I am first here uh, on the top of the hour news, uh, there was, you know, ahead of the market open in the U.S., there was, you know, looking at the futures and looking at how things were trending and stuff. Uh, they said, I heard the phrase sharp dip. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. Uh, and sure enough, once, you know, 630 hit and uh, our time and things started moving, uh, it went down. It went down fast. It kept going down. Uh, and, you know, then people people start needing medication <laughs> or something. If you're looking at your stock portfolio, you're going, wait a second here. What is this going to result in? Uh, how's this going to go? And sometimes there are ups and downs during the day. But it really felt yesterday, like once it started going down, it wasn't coming up. Now, the offshoot is, today it did the opposite. Right, right. So, uh, now... Which brings up a good point that David will get to eventually. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, so, you think about how many points did we lose yesterday? And we, so, first of all, which one are we using as the market? Well, I'm looking at... Uh, are you using the Dow? Is that kind well, of your... Well, I'm looking at all of them. I mean, I mm -hmm. look at the Dow probably just because it pops up at the top of the charts. Uh, where sure. I look. But uh, that was down about 430 yesterday, I think. And then up today, uh, what did I see? Uh, two something? Or yeah, over something? 200 today. Yeah. So we didn't make it all back, but made maybe 60% of it back. And for our new listeners, you keep talking about the markets. Which markets are you referring to, Well, David? that's why I was asking Kyle, right? Is... Uh, you know, so we had this big point drop yesterday in uh, both, well, all of them, right? So I, I like to use the S&P, but it, that's why I'm asking Kyle, which where's his point of reference? Because yesterday, yeah, it was a, at one point, uh, the the peak values on Monday, so open up, it was 25, over 25.9, and it at the low point of the day, it was down at 25.2. Uh, so it didn't actually open, I guess it fell a lot on Friday too, but Monday, it still was falling in a hurry. So it went from 25.5 to 25.2. But yeah, three, 400 points in a day. Uh, at one point, much more than that. Uh, but, but this huge swing in the last week. Right? We basically right. lost 5% in the last week. 
Ouch. And lost about 3% yesterday. The three of the five. Two, so, or, or two and a half percent yesterday. It was NASDAQ lost over three. S&P was about two and a quarter. And I think so was the uh, total the, or yesterday? The Dow. Yesterday, point uh, percentage loss. Oh, a little over 2% for S&P and Dow. NASDAQ being the tech heavy index is the one that lost over 3%. Got it. Okay. Apple was down at six, like 6% yesterday. Which is crazy. Well, and would some of these, because you talk about the intellectual property issue, would some of these tend to have more impact on the NASDAQ? Well, it's the intellectual property is not what makes the NASDAQ get dinged as much. I think what it is is a lot of the companies in the NASDAQ, first of all, they're, they're big as a percentage of the NASDAQ. So uh, the you know Apple's a big portion of the, the of I think the NASDAQ's really now. I, get, I don't think Apple's in the NASDAQ. I think it's on the Dow. Or it's on a different exchange. NASDAQ still has Apple in their, in their index. I'm sorry. And as a percentage, right, it's 15% of the index. So if Apple has a bad day, it drags down everybody. Right. Uh, and then you get some small company that has, you know, in a couple of percentage points. By comparison to Apple, it, it's not enough to move the needle very much. But I think the issue is more that Apple. They manufacture in China. They have all this Chinese labor associated with us. They build everything in China. So now we're going to have tariffs on iPhones coming back into the country. Uh, and th it changes the economics of how Apple makes profits. Well, and you see how many, I mean, I don't do a lot of label reading, but you, whether it's clothing or lots of other things, if you really do read labels, uh, the number one thing you'll see is made in China. Yeah, it's a huge manufacturing economy. And when you consider, here's here's the, the key takeaway is who is getting hurt more? China, just so you know. Uh, it, and that's that's really economically clear. Uh, the, the thing that is going to happen probably, so uh, you know, economists are sort of taking stabs at what the economic impact will be. They think about a quarter point drag on GDP. Uh, and so, you know, if we're expecting, say, a three and a half percent growth rate, we'd see three point two five percent for the U.S. Uh, China, they're expecting more like a half a percentage point drag on their GDP. So double the economic impact that we would experience here in the United States. And it's because the trade imbalance is pretty radical. It's something like four to one. Oh, yeah. Didn't you say that we buy a lot like we buy a lot from other people, but we, we don't buy really a ton. export from anybody or we, export. Out yeah, we import lot. from China a ton. And we export relatively little comparatively. So as a result, uh, it's more damaging to China that you know the products that they're trying to bring to us, having to put tariffs on them, will make them less competitive. It right. will make the cost of the product higher. So what will happen in the United States is folks will either look for they'll either pay more, or they'll look for substitute products at a different price point. Uh, and then manufacturers will also have to consider whether or not to move manufacturing out of China into other areas. Yeah, lots of different things to discuss. Yeah, so these are long-term structural things. The longer a trade war goes on, the more that those structural elements have to be taken into consideration. Well, haven't we kind of seen that a little bit with Mexico as well? Because uh, we've had, I mean, not trade wars exactly, but I mean, maybe, I guess, a little bit. Like, because we had... Yeah, how do you mean? Well, we had, didn't we have a lot of manufacturing companies go down into Mexico because labor was cheaper and things like that? And then um, lately I've heard, isn't it Nike that's closing their, one of their plants in Mexico and bringing it back? I'm not sure about that. I know that uh, when they originally did the NAFTA treaty, uh, the North Atlantic Free Trade Agreement, that created some changes in the structural elements of the market. So it became more 
profitable to manufacture in Mexico because the, the labor costs were lower, but there were no tariffs to bring it back in. So it, it was a structural shift that, that moved jobs into other markets because of the cost of labor. And this, by the way, uh, and we're getting, we're going to get a little long on segment here, but um, let me just kind of finish up before we go to break. The concept uh, that the structural elements, they've always gone on, but when you talk about, hey, how do we, why do we keep losing manufacturing jobs in the United States? Well, a lot of it also has to do with the structural costs in other countries, right? Mexico doesn't have the same labor laws. They don't treat their workers the same way that the United States does. They don't have the same legal protections, which essentially means it's a lower cost for labor as an input cost. Now, I'm not right. making a commentary on the humanitarian nature of how workers are treated in Mexico. I'm saying as an input cost in business, it's lower. Uh, same thing in China. I mean, I think a lot of people would say, hey, you know, they have sweatshops in China. It's terrible. Uh, and, you know, I, in theory, we don't do that in the United States. Uh, so the labor is cheaper in China because they abuse it. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, so, you, you know, you argue for human rights and you go through trade negotiations where you say, hey, these are some of the things that you need to do in order to play on an international scale. And that's part of the bigger picture here. But the, the summary of this one, and then we'll, let, we'll just grab a break and we'll get into something fun, is that the markets are now having to look at future profits differently. Right? If you're going to change the structure of everything and you're going to change the way profits get recorded in companies all over the globe, then you have to change your underlying assumptions for how you value them. And that's what's getting sorted out right now. So the question is, what should you as an investor do differently? Good question. And we'll answer it after our break. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Schick. And, and Kyle Bailey. On True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEA. I got another all one. That's my, I guess that's my mic. That, yeah, that's, oh. that's why I'm sitting there going, hey, welcome back. You can't hear me. So uh, <laughs> oh, I, uh, fine. we got Kyle sitting there going, hey, push the right button, dude. <laughs> uh, my mistake. Mis welcome back to the, the True Well Show. I know. I had well, what I was trying to be is all clever because Katie was grabbing a glass of water, so I thought, okay, well, keep your mic off at the break so that I can, um, you know, cue you in when you get here, and nobody will know any wiser. But what do I do? I turned off the wrong microphone. That, yeah. Oops. It's like no, no, no. Mic one. Mic one. Yeah. So. All right, my mistake. Um, welcome back, gang. And if you're just joining us, we're getting into the the concept of you know we're what what I think we may ultimately reflect in history is an actual trade war. It hasn't gone fully nuclear yet, but you know the initial shots have been fired between the U.S. and China, and the what happens now is you get into a trade war, and if it gets protracted, you create what's known as structural change. Okay, and for our listeners, structural change is something where anytime that you change uh, tax policy or some kind of regulatory environment and you create a new cost or a new burden economically, then the the economics of the day economics of the day rather will start to try to shift things around to adapt to those changes. Right. There's ripples, right? It's okay. not just the stone dropping yeah. in the pond. It's all the ripples and the side effects of what happens. It's what Adam Smith calls the invisible hand of economics. It is that prices seek to balance themselves. There is a natural supply and demand. And when you change input variables, it is affecting either the supply or the demand, which then ultimately has to get sort of churned through the system and repriced. Right. 
Okay, so as it is seeking equilibrium, things can get out of whack. And do keep in mind, we have a very complex system, right? There's arguably an infinite number of variables to the system, so it doesn't get solved. What you do is you kind of squish it into a tube and hold it in there as best you can until something squirts out again. And then you try to squish it back in and something else squirts out. And it's always happening. Like, and That's it's always happened like that. That's a great visual. Yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah, you've you've got uh, you, you know five pounds of dough in a four four pound container, and you got to try to squish it in there, and it keeps squirting out somewhere else. So that's how economics always works. Goofy visual, but that's how it is. So Kyle, uh, you make the comment before the show that whoa, look at that, and you know you're you're looking at the account balances and whatnot, watching things, and uh, don't worry, we're not going to talk about values or you know where the accounts are held or anything else. But you are an investor, yes? Yeah. All right. So I want to know what you think, given what you're seeing going on. How do you plan to respond as an investor? Um, I I'm perhaps wine. I, I, the, okay, good, good. Wait, the, wine the like W-H-I-N-E no, or W-I-N-E? The beverage. I, I, okay, yeah, just, so Medicaid, got well, it. Well, no, that's not really the, <laughs> the correct answer. But it it's nerve-wracking because sure. we saw, uh, you know, late last year, December, and everything goes down, and you're dropping, and this is dropping, and everybody's dropping. Well, we just got back up, and we just got those numbers pretty much restored, at least for what I'm looking at. And it's ballpark, and okay, deep breath. You know, they said, oh, come back. Things come back. No, wait a second. Not again. Uh, well, that's the nature of the market. It goes up, it goes down. But, it, it you know, when you've seen several months, uh, a process of several months to get back to where you were, you know, early in the fall, mid-fall, uh, it, I, you know, it's troublesome to, to uh, see these things go back down, I guess, you know, in – is it unrealistic? Maybe it is. I, I, you know, I in my perfect world, the stock market would always go up, but that's obviously not realistic. Well, so, the reality is that the stock market has pretty well always gone up. Over eventually, time. yeah. Eventually, right. So but I have it, a couple questions for Kyle, yeah. um, just because I think it does pertain to our listeners. So, and and we can talk hypothetically too. So hypothetically. How far away do you think you are in years from retirement? Or do you think you'll ever retire? Uh, yeah. <laughs> They'll prop him up in the corner, and then one day he just will stop using oxygen. I'll read my own <laughs> obituary, and that'll be it. No, uh, I, you know, I'm really not sure. I don't have, uh, most days, a desire to even think about that. Uh, you know, I, other people in the industry tend to get a few years past where I am, and they... They sometimes will exit and go on to sort of second, partially retired careers, where you you do something either related to media or something totally different. Right. I don't know. I I like what I do, or I wouldn't hang around here so many hours a day. True. Uh, yeah. True. What are you retiring from? Right? So That's so I guess then here's where I'm going with this line of questioning. Right. Is so you said you know you check the stock market today and you, you're worried about. Um, you know, where it's going and, and your account value. And, and kind of what I'm trying to do is say, hey, you know, how far out are you from retirement? Like, w the reason I brought that up is uh, one of the things David and I were discussing earlier is checking your account balance every day and why or why not to do that. And when you're talking about your account going up or down right now, the reason I'm asking about how far are you away from retirement is 
Um, do you feel like you should possibly change your investments? Are you considering changing your investments? Or are you worried that you're on the wrong trajectory? I'm kind of wondering where, you know, you mentioned feeling stressed, I guess, about the market. What kinds of things are you stressed about? Well, and there's a portion that I can access every day, uh, and there's a portion that I can't, you know, just because of the way it's all set up at the moment. Okay. And so, uh, for instance, at the end of the first quarter, I got this statement from one particular account, and it was like uh, 18% increase in the quarter. Okay. You know, and uh, and there was some of that obviously going on. Uh, this one seems to, when it goes up, it seems to go up more than some others do. So you look at that and go, oh, this is great, you know. And over the last few years, it's gone up a lot uh, from where it started out, you know, when it came my direction in, in a state. Um, but, uh, and, and maybe that's one of the things that maybe you, you have to think through all of that. I mean, it's easy to sit there and go, well, I can access this and get real nervous. But there are quite a few things that I can't access. And so maybe I, you know, maybe I need to fix that so I have got a better picture. Uh, and just being in this business, you know, I, I mean, what do I do all day? I check information. You know, right. information is my life. Uh, and so, you know, they talk, I mean, uh, I think somebody in IT said that uh, for both of our companies here in radio and print, uh, I get and send and use the most email of anybody in both companies. <laughs> I believe you do. I'm the top emailer, <laughs> which apparently the IT person that wasn't like a happy like I didn't get that wasn't a good thing. He no. was <laughs> it's like, why do you get so much email? Because I do a lot of writing and stories and all that. Um, do you read them all? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Oh, well, no wonder you're here so long. Well, but the uh, but in taking all that information, there's a point though where it could be a little numbing, which is where the wine may come in. I don't know, but uh, so maybe <laughs> maybe you have to balance that a little better. Maybe you just sit there and go, okay, the markets because I mean I'm going to hear the top of the hour. I'm going to hear stock reports. I'm going to you know just by osmosis, I'm going to get a lot of information just having the radio on, which is the point of this station to give people information. But is it, maybe to not be you know. What was I doing yesterday? I was threatening to leap off my cubicle. <laughs> it got worse. Yeah. Well, my Kyle, you're going to sprain like, an ankle. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We've, we've had this problem. Hurt the before. other shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's hard to balance that though, and and not get freaked out. Yeah. Well, and where I was kind of going, I guess, with the retirement age is is uh, one of the things that I've heard David talk about a lot is when should you be checking your accounts, like how often and frequency. And I'm kind of setting David up for this question, but. Um, when is the account value the most important? <laughs> when is it the most important? Yeah, when you need the money. <laughs> when you need the money. Well, no, and, and that's exactly it, when you need the money. And that's kind of why um, I was trying to ask you a little bit, like, hey, are you thinking 10 years off, 20 years off? Like, are you worried about your strategy, thinking you should possibly change your strategy? Or is it something where you're like, I just don't want to lose money? Is it just the anxiety around losing money in general? I think it's a, that general anxiety. You know, I I mean, honestly, I grew up in a lower middle income situation, single income, you know, for most of that time, a partial secondary income. My mom was a substitute teacher after I was born. And, and so um, we... You know, we were on the lower end of things, and we, you know, we went my entire, well, let's put it this way. From the time I was three, we did not get another car until I was 17. You know, my, the, you could count all the car, the cars that my parents owned since I was born on one hand. 
Man, you know, I can count just, all the cars I've owned on one hand. <laughs> we just didn't buy stuff. And you kept stuff and you held on to stuff. And, you know, so um, maybe it's not having a lot of that stuff and then getting a little bit better position and going, you know, maybe you get too attached to the stuff and the, the dollar signs that go with it. Well... Boy, there's a lot in there, Kyle. I know. Uh, I'm like, wow, this is really because this is exactly what we wanted to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, so we'll, Kyle, you're the guinea pig. We'll we'll <laughs> totally segue into that, but I I will start with, you know, keeping in mind the very first thing you talked about, Kyle, which is, hey, you know, I'm around the news all the time. I see the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the goods, the bads, and you know, what's somebody to make sense of. And what I will tell you is my experience is that perhaps the single most destructive force in investment history, right, is not the economy. And it's not politicians. It is human emotions and bad behavior. And when right? you say bad behavior, you don't mean people behaving badly, like no, I think I totally do. No, bad <laughs> behavior is a spectrum here. But look, I'm not talking about, oh, people go break the law, though I'm sure some folks do. I mean that people make foolish decisions because they, they make them in a, in a point of emotion rather than a, a point where they're grounded in data. Jumping off the roller coaster at the top of the hill. Nobody does that unless they're... <laughs> That that's a that's a recipe for the end. So that's that's not what I mean. Because now people have this idea in their head, like they're literally picturing a roller coaster. You're talking about the ups and downs of your investment strategy, right? But invariably, yeah, what people will do is they want to invest when the markets are really good because they feel good, and then they feel like uh, they shouldn't invest when the market's really bad, and they, you really should be doing the opposite of that. So yesterday, when the markets cough up three percent. One should be analyzing that and saying, are there any bargains right now? Yeah, I bought some stuff yesterday. Yeah. Really excited about that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, is is it a bargain opportunity or not? And when things are really already at the tippy top, you kind of go, hey, did we already let the horse out of the barn? Uh, that is, to me, the the bigger issue that we, we struggle with. There's an entire form of study now around human decision-making and finance. It's called behavioral finance. And there are strategies built around this, or if you've ever heard of contrarian investors, right? Those are all elements of behavioral-based financial decision-making. And you know, we, we all do it. We, we do mental accounting, we do these funny things, but what we'll do is we'll rationalize a decision from an emotional point of view, and it can often be really detrimental. And the worst thing that I think happens is somebody makes a really emotional decision and they get it right. And then they take credit for something that they couldn't possibly reproduce, right? It was dumb luck, and, and people misassign it as skill. Well, what usually ends up happening is they go, oh, I'm going to do this again because I had good results the first time. And then and they light themselves on fire. Yes. <laughs> One of the things people do, too, sometimes is they see things go down, and then they're like, they call or they do whatever and say, sell, sell, sell. Well, you've just guaranteed that you're going to lose money if – you know, you're in things that have gone down a lot during a down cycle. Uh, yeah. So I want to let's talk about that for a second. I have a trick question for you. If the markets are down, should you sell? Ooh, that is a good. I'll question. tell you the answer after our break. Ah, uh, watch out, uh, folks. Stick around, gang. We'll be right back. Should you be selling when the markets are down? Well, let's figure it out when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. Kyle Bailey. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN.
All right, gang, welcome back to the True Well Show. Uh, we've got Kyle's joining us in studio, and Katie's on, on the fun, and we're talking about all this uh, trade war stuff, and now we've managed to find our way into the investment response to trade wars, and I asked a loaded question right before the break. Because, Kyle, you mentioned that a lot of people, right, you know, their, their accounts are dropping. Right. And, and they want to sell everything. But if you sell when the market's down, you've just guaranteed that you've lost money. So you've now created an interesting scenario. I want to walk people through this, and then we want to answer this question. Should you sell when the markets are down? So let me first ask Kyle and Katie, what do you think? Should you sell when the markets are down? I See, that's not an easy yes or no question. Okay, so you first of all, Katie is on to something. Good job. Thanks. It's I'm not, a, not a yes or no question. Right, because the first question is, do I think the markets are going to go down further? The next question is, what did I originally buy my stuff for in the first place? Okay, so and there's the, some there's some good questions and in the there. And the third thing is, do I need the money right now? You said there were two questions. Now okay, I had multiple questions. questions. Yeah. I well, can't count. <laughs> and then also, are the funds that you're invested in, are they behaving as the market overall? Because there are times when the market overall may go down, but what you have didn't. Okay, so excellent points. We, we're framing now. So should we or shouldn't we sell when the markets are down? Okay, uh, and the, the, the answer to this is it really depends on context, but it also depends on, well, are we selling to reposition? Right. Okay. Uh, let me explain. If the entire market is down, selling out of one position to move into another is still a fairly lateral move. Everything is everything got a cold, right? A system-wide risk has lowered everything. Right. All of the ships went down with the tide as it went out. So you're kind of making a lateral move. Okay. Uh, versus, hey. So why know, make the move at all then? Sometimes it's, well, for the question you you brought up, right? Why did I buy it in the first place? I what what made something attractive to me? So usually price and like not guarantee, but price in future. What I assume that it would make on the future. Right. It is the the it's that blend of risk and reward characteristics with the expectation of future profits. Right. right. So that's a big part of it. Now, Kyle, you talk about should you sell when you know the markets at large are down, and I would say, well, first, is there some mechanical reason that the things that you're invested in should are, are now are no longer good investments right and so because just because they went down for a few days or a week or whatever does that not mean they won't ever come back up right the old example in your mind if everybody could picture this so are your investments like tennis balls or chicken eggs what one of them when it drops is going to bounce back up the other one is going to go splat <laughs> And make a mess. Yeah. So okay. So and and here's and there are examples. Sometimes things they go down in value and they may never come back. Yeah, and some of that depends on the company and what it produces. It, it really depends. Um, Enron. Yeah, that was hard to recover. <laughs> okay, that company is bye bye. Yeah. Right. Uh, Worldcom. Bye bye. You had to mention that one, didn't you? World yeah, Com. you know this story. <laughs> I do. What's the story behind Worldcom? Oh, I think Kyle may have at one point had a personal stake in it. <laughs> I yeah. Oh. Well, and it was it, it was one of the 
stocks during that time frame that a lot of people, I mean, were buying. And ultimately, there's a longer story to that, yeah. but it didn't, let's just say it didn't pan out so well for just about anybody. So so let me tell you a great story <laughs> about Penny. a company called Seadrill. Oh, Seadrill. Okay. Seadrill makes offshore oil rigs. And, you know, they were one of the unique players that could actually make these oil refinery or oil extraction rigs for deep water. Uh, so places like the North Sea where, you know, nobody goes because you fall in the water and freeze to death in short order. Well, they had the ability to make and deploy these oil rigs. And there's not that many players in the marketplace, you know, maybe three or four total. Yeah, you don't exactly uh, prime that from Amazon. Correct. Uh, <laughs> the price of oil drops and drops and drops from over $100 a barrel to the 30s. Guess what? People aren't. It is not profitable to take money out of the deep sea at that point when you can get money from shale oil or anywhere else at a lot less risk and price. And that stock went from $42 a share to probably 40 cents a share. So it still yeah. exists, but it's been bankrupt. It's come out of bankruptcy, and it's dropped since bankruptcy. And it may just be a matter of time before it's gone altogether. And you have to look at this and say, is the technology just changed? Are we, you know, we're, we're moving toward electric. We're getting away from fossil fuels uh, slowly but methodically. Yeah. And uh, in that process, will it ever be a viable investment again. So and, sea drill right now is at seven dollars and twenty three cents a share. Yeah, after a twenty four to one reverse split. Yeah, at the fifty two week high, it was one hundred and ninety eight. Right. So it went from two hundred dollars almost down to seven bucks. Correct. Yeah, because the split price or whatever the split was, it was ridiculous. Ouch. It was a reverse split, and so the stock has just gone away. Now, and in my in the next ten years, is it worth it to hope it turns around? Mm. I don't, I, I'm not making recommendations one way or the other, but I'll tell you my personal take on this, just an opinion, not a recommendation. No. It's, you know, that's just a, it's just a dead asset. It's gone. Uh, and I don't see anything that's going to drive the price of oil through the roof anytime soon. Uh, and in fact, I can make you a lot of cases where, uh, interestingly enough, I could see where Tesla could be in trouble. I know that that sounds crazy to people. Ah, oh, Tesla's awesome, right? Yeah, but it's it's now getting attractive enough and proof of concept and distribution of electrical charging stations and so forth that other players want to enter the game. And I think if the market starts to saturate that Tesla at their price point could be challenged significantly because from a perspective of finance, they don't make money. They, they do have revenue, but they spend more than they make. So they're a net negative company right now. Uh, so we'll see if they can turn the corner or not. But And again, not a recommendation, but just... You know, Pay attention. Look, look, look at how things are playing out in the marketplace. Those are examples of how you analyze investments and make decisions about whether or not you want to own them. And why did you buy it in the first place? Was it speculative or was it an investment? You know. Uh, and for people that don't know what that is, what is speculation or investing on Kyle? a speculative? Yeah, you well, got this I, one. <laughs> I'm certainly not in the speculative world, but I think uh, that is people. Uh, those are people who have let's say, X pile of play money, if you will. Uh, let's say it's $100,000. And they're fine and they're set and, you know, they're not in worried about, you know, their lifestyle or anything like that. Uh, whereas some of us, you know, might, uh, you know, people do things like the lottery tickets, things like that. Maybe you spend 10 bucks, 
you know, somebody at a higher level might spend $100,000 on a stock. And eh, let's just see if this pans out. And it's the same level as maybe, you know, 10 bucks or 100 bucks would be to the rest of us. Yeah. Speculation, in my mind, is investing with the risk factor that a, a, a total loss is a possibility. Right. Okay. And investing is, by and large, designed to try to minimize the possibility of a total loss. I was going to say mitigate as much risk as possible. Correct. Uh, there's there's, there's risk, always risk everywhere. Yeah. There, uh, risk is impossible to completely eliminate. So what you try to do is you try to control it or you try to manage it. It's probably a better term is manage. Uh, but you cannot actually eliminate risk. And anybody that tells you that they can or, oh, sure, just put it in an insurance product or something. Now, the guarantee is only as good as the guarantor. If they fail, then you still fail. So there's no such thing as perfected when it comes to risk in the marketplace. And I'll just I'll, I'll bang on the table and say, uh, you're lying if, if somebody out says that there is. You know, oh, bury it in the backyard. No, nope, you got inflation risk. Right, and you got a system that's moving. It. You got purchasing power risk right there. And you know what happens when you bury it in the backyard? You could lose it. Well, uh, <laughs> or the you can, can do, can rot, or the dog could eat it because the dog will dig it up. You could do what a uh, well, been deceased for three decades. I guess that I could say this. Uh, I, my grandfather, who once uh, put it in the wall of the house, put a thousand <laughs> bucks in the fifties or sixties in the wall of a house, sold the house when my grandmother died, moved actually just a couple hundred feet away. Forgot about it, and then one day the light bulb went off that there was a thousand bucks up in the attic, walled in, in that house. And uh, as a young youngster, I, as we would visit, living where he did uh, a couple times a year, one day I said, "Well, there's an open house over there. We should just go up there and look around and ask to see the attic." And his reply was, "Well, no, don't, don't, don't do that. They'll think I have money." Well, apparently he did, or he wouldn't have put a thousand bucks in the attic. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. I will tell you that for what he had, that was a lot of money to put it in the well, attic. Well, that's yeah. the thing. You put a thousand bucks in the attic, and then forty years later, it has the purchasing power of about two hundred dollars. Or it's been eaten by moth or something, yeah. rats yeah. or whatever. Yeah, there's uh, lots mice, of mice. Uh, so. Yeah, so there's always a risk somewhere. Yeah, it's it, it is. You cannot get rid of it, so you manage it as as well as you possibly can. And there are lots of methodologies to do that. Whether it is just through just broad diversification, derivatives markets, and um, looking at various ways to put non-correlated assets together. So there, there are lots of tips of the trade that the professionals will use. And um, there's a lot more access than there used to be. So let's talk, I, I wanna talk a little bit about access to the system, but uh, we're gonna run long otherwise. Let's grab this last break and then I, when, I, when we come back, a couple of tips for you as investors, places you can go to look for help on this stuff. So stick around, we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And Kyle Bailey. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch here, the True Wealth Show. Uh, you know, I wanted to give our listeners a little sense. We've got a couple of things coming up that you hear us on the radio. We talk a lot of shop. We ask a lot of questions about just, you know, how do you be a better investor? How do you uh, analyze the markets? We, we talk about all kinds of stuff here, right? Yes. But every now and then, the radio is not the total package of what you want to do in terms of a, a learning experience, right? Right. So we got a couple things coming up that I want to remind folks of. We do a number of different types of 
open education events. And when I say open education, it is exactly like it sounds. Yeah. It is, You're not getting sold anything, right. by the way, guys. It is, it is open to the public to come in. And, and I will tell you, I'm not afraid to admit what the what is the marketing strategy. We give a lot away because that's part of how you bring out brand awareness. I don't have to have any special secrets about how we operate. It turns out the investment landscape is complex enough and it moves enough and it evolves enough that it's hard to do and stay on top of and have a real life too. Yeah, like so, the, the rules constantly change. Right. So for those that are really inclined toward doing it yourself, we teach this stuff so that you're empowered to do it because it frustrates the heck out of me that it's not something that's taught well in our public education systems and it's hard to figure this stuff out. But it's not just for the DIYers. It's for anybody that wants to learn. Well, anybody that wants to learn is welcome to come. And, and you know, what a lot of people discover at some point is, I don't want to do all this. And, you know, so we're looking for somebody to partner with and it's just a matter of how do you vet and find the right person. Well, that's... That's what's in it for us, but we—that's why we don't have to sell anything. Uh, it will—it'll either work or it won't. So you don't have to worry about that. But enough of the 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 that point. What's coming up next? Well, I know on the 16th, right? So here we are on the 14th. So in a couple of days, yeah, we've Thursday. got a webinar. Okay, and so this is one where we complete with slides and interaction, and we're going to be talking about. Uh, Designing an effective retirement plan, or what I like to call the napkin plan. Because it should be simple enough that you can explain it on a napkin. Yeah, you should be able to explain it like you could write it on the back of a napkin at, at you know a, a restaurant and say, oh, kind of like this. And somebody go, all right, I see what you're doing. And we, we'll break it down into the things that you need to understand. I think uh, retirement planning is something that oftentimes gets, it's a little bit mystifying and people make it sound harder than it needs to be oftentimes so they can charge more money than they should for it. So we're going to break this into parts that make it real manageable. Okay. Okay. And if you want to join us on that one, we'll take you through it. I'm not going to insult your intelligence. I will tell you, I've taken many professionals through this process and I have, I have routinely found people come back to say, you know, it's really useful to think of it that way. So we're going to give you a framework to help do some um, basic level financial planning. It's again, a napkin plan. Is there more layers of sophistication? Sure. sure. But we're going to get into what, what some of the, the very simple fundamentals are, and it's going to give you a good idea where you need to go with it. So if you want to join that one, you don't have to leave the comfort of your home. You can sit at your computer. I don't need to know how you're dressed or if. Uh, I just know that we're going to be doing this. At, it'll be 3 o'clock on Thursday. Uh, we do plan to record it, I believe, as well. How long How long do you think it'll last? Like if somebody wanted to do it on their I'll lunch break? It's going to be about a half hour. Okay. Right? And so we're not going to turn this into a really long one. Again, it should work on a napkin, so it shouldn't be a really long presentation. Uh, the only thing that'll lengthen is we have a whole bunch of audience questions, and that'll come at the end, so you'll be able to you know dismiss yourself if you need to. So go to our webpage at littlejohnfs.com. You can get signed up for that one. And then the other one, and this one is just fascinating to me okay this is one that uh, we haven't run into a lot of people that, that use it but I think it's coming up more and more if you are a landlord and you're going bananas right? right because you're just sort of over the idea of managing these things or you're frustrated with the regulatory changes coming out of Salem or whatever it may be uh, and you're looking at selling and leaving but you don't want to pay a bunch of property taxes or I'm sorry but not probably capital gains taxes right? I can't I can't help you with property taxes if you're a property t owner but but if you've got 
a bunch of capital gains and you've been not wanting to sell something, there is something called a 1031 exchange. You may have heard of this. It's the ability to buy a like-kind property and defer your capital gains. But a lot of people don't realize that there are managed trusts, right, that you can put you can roll money into a trust and get out of the day-to-day management yourself. You can throw it, put it into a, a third-party managed environment, professionally managed environment. So uh, there is, we do have uh, this, we're going to do a clinic on this next week. It is on the 22nd. If you are a realtor or an accountant or an attorney. Or someone have, who's just interested yeah. in property but as an got, investment. It's got continuing education as part of it for your profession. But yeah, I mean, this is really for anybody. If you if you want to be a real estate owner, investor, yeah, you should know this information. It is good info for real estate investors, period. And again, it's free. Go to our webpage, and this will be next week on the 22nd. It's a real class. Like people, are t- it's being taught at our office. Right, and so there's not two a times. Webinar. There's a class time in the morning and one in the afternoon, so. Yeah, so, so go ahead and hop on to get signed up for that one. Um, so anyway, that's it. The final thought of the day here as we're looking at trade wars and what to do. Here's here's the takeaway. Before you let your emotions get the best of you and you start to panic, pump the brakes. Okay? Slow down and think this through. I want you to do what you can, take a few deep breaths and try to get out of that emotional state of mind. Or call your investment advisor and, and, and have them talk you off the ledge. <laughs> but yeah, so try to ground yourself in decisions that are made from a knowledge base. Don't guess, don't get all excited about it. So that's my that's my tip of the day is don't let your emotions talk you into something that could harm you later. All right. So with that, Kyle. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's fun. Always a pleasure. Katie, thank you also. Thank you for having me. All right, gang. If there are other questions we didn't get to today, please give us a call. 541-375-0898. All right. You heard it here first, but you won't hear it here last. Thanks, everybody, again. This has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And Kyle Bailey. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN.